Okay, turning the microphone on, gonna record. I was trying to record video, May reading recap, but I just did the podcast for that. And then I was gonna do the video, but I was adding two more books and it was just getting bloated, so I thought I'll just record a podcast about this. So the two books were Seth Rogen's yearbook and then Colin Jost's A Very Punchable Face. We listened to this on the way back. This is kind of like an episode about this road trip that we took, sort of. Or I guess I'll just mention it. We took a trip to Joshua Tree. We drove to Joshua Tree. Actually, we drove to Palm Springs, then to Joshua Tree, then to L.A., and then back to San Francisco. This meant that we spent a lot of time in the car. We listened to a lot of stuff. We ate a lot of food, too much food. And it was fine. I'll, I'll, the pounds come off a little less easily now, but it's going to be fine. Anyway, the time in the car meant that, yes, we, we had a lot of time to listen to things. So two things that we listened to, I, I feel like I'm, I'm just repeating myself. I kind of gave it away right up front. Yeah, well, so we listened to two audiobooks and managed to start and finish them on this trip. And the first one I'm going to talk about is Seth Rogen's yearbook. So Seth Rogen in, involved in some of my favorite movies, Tropic Thunder, Superbad, and let's see. So yeah, he wrote Superbad. And the book is just great. It shows a path through comedy. And he just talks about his life in comedy, shares stories, being in Hollywood, my favorite thing about it is just that he does seem to have maintained his perspective as an outsider. So this is kind of like a commentary with awareness that his life has been in this industry that can be ridiculous. And he'll share stories with celebrities, stories just growing up in Canada. And then you can see kind of where a lot of his comedic inspiration comes from and yes tons of drugs he talks about it seems like at certain points it's probably not true but like every story has involves drugs and that that's not true but definitely a good number of them do and yeah so i just thought i would share some stories from the book but another thing about this book so if you do like audiobooks this is one of the best ones that i've listened to immediately like or i guess not like one minute in but after having finished it, I was like, yeah, this this is really one of the best audiobooks I've listened to. He has a cast that does some of the voices, and then for some of the people he mentions, they actually are on as themselves. For example, Kanye is not on there, unfortunately, but there is like a voice actor that sounds like Kanye. And yeah, that just really does add to it, just having the audio production. And it just made it a really good listen, and it's one of those books that I was really there. There's different books that where it's like, well, that probably would have been better to have read the print version. Those are the ones where like I'll see the print version later. And I'm like, oh yeah, like the formatting and the design of the pages, and there's just a lot of imagery that's really helpful. But for this one, there's photos that come in the print book, but just hearing him narrate it himself, Seth Rogen, you feel his personality coming through. I mean, it is his personality. It's not like with a book, you have to like write in a certain way for your personality to shine through. 
but in this case it's him as himself and i think it's pretty impressive that he's able to come off as himself when he's reading what he's writing what what he wrote and that probably means that he's just good at writing as himself as well anyway on to the story so one of them he so the first story yeah he opens the door one day Kanye is there. I think he says he has a basketball. He just asks, like, hey, you want to come out and play basketball? And unfortunately, Seth Rogen has other plans that day. I forget exactly what it was, but he couldn't play basketball with Kanye West that day. I think maybe he had a hangover, too many drugs. I shouldn't say that. I forget exactly what it was. But but then, yeah, later on, he has his different interactions with Kanye because Kanye lived, or Kanye's trainer lived down the street from him. So then one day, Kanye asks in, and invites Seth Rogen and his wife to a van, and they just talk about having this Sprinter van, or I guess it's like a Mercedes van, and they just mention like, oh yeah, everyone in Hollywood has these now, and they just build out their office in there. And Kanye plays him all of these songs, and they think at first that they're just going to be in there to check out a couple songs, but... He says it's something like five hours, like three to five hours that they're just in this van listening to all these songs. And the crazy thing is, once the album was released, those songs weren't on the album. So it was just this cool experience that he had where he was able to just listen to songs no one else, or at least like the general public, has never heard. That's definitely a cool thing. And that does remind me of the book that I mentioned. And I think I talked about this in the podcast last week or a couple weeks ago, where John Acuff has a book called Soundtracks, and he talks about his person. one of his personal soundtracks is a quote from Kanye, my, li- I- my life is dope and I do dope things. And Seth Rogen, I'm glad he's able to share these stories because his, his life is pretty dope and he does dope things as well. So it's nice to be able to at least hear someone talk about it and share their thoughts as they go through it. So the next story here, how to make your grandparents more fun to hang out with. And I guess that kind of gives it away, but a little bit. I'll just start with this book quote. He says, all those times I was dreading. So actually I'll intro this a little bit. He just talks about how growing up, he just really dreaded, spending time with his grandparents but then he started in comedy he asked his parents if he could take a stand-up class they said yes dropped him off and i think he was like 12 or 14 at the time and yeah now here's the quote he says all those times i was dreading hanging out with my bubby and zadie suddenly became something else something new they were fodder they were material i also began to suspect that maybe just maybe they knew they were being funny They would come and watch me perform from time to time, and not only did they not mind when I made fun of them, they got pissed off when I didn't. That's the end of the quote. And I thought this was a great example of this mental tool of reframing. So I guess similar to soundtracks, this is kind of like an extension of the book notes from last week, but I did mention the book Effortless by Greg McEwen. And it is about this idea of reframing difficult things as things that can be easier. And in this case, he, Seth Rogen, made hanging out with his grandparents effortless because he was able to reframe this negative as a positive that, hey, okay, 
it sucks sometimes. It's not the best time hanging out with them. They argue, whatever it is, and now he can see that at least there's going to be good stories from this that I can use in my stand-up act. And, yeah, that gets to this idea of inversion. So it's a nice example of one of these mental tools in action. And it does remind me of a few different things that I've heard where it's like replace your soundtrack or win or learn is another way that I've heard it. And then the other one was success or a story. I think it can be bad to like, I'm just going to intend to fail because that's, that's the only way to learn. I think there's a lot of good in realizing you can learn from success as well. And then this does remind me of another podcast that I listened to with, or it was an interview. So it must've been on my first million with their lead writer. He had an interview. So Trung fan, great Twitter account. He just talks, he's interviewing someone, this billionaire. And then that person talks about investing and how he's, he made, some big mistakes. I think he was telling a story where he lost $3 billion and that you could take that mindset. He knows that he's heard the phrase, those similar phrases where it's like, well, at least you got a lesson out of it. And he says like, yeah, you get lessons out of failure. But in that case, it was a lesson I already knew. Like I didn't learn anything new from that. It was just experiencing the pain again. It could have been avoided. Like I didn't need to lose $3 billion for that. So I I thought that was a good other side of of this idea of learning from failure okay story number three is how to ruin star wars so he talks about meeting george lucas he was going to meet with steven spielberg and george lucas happens to be there and at first they're all in the same room together george lucas they ask like oh george how are you doing and he says things have been pretty busy considering we're nearing the end of 2012 then yeah seth rogan just talks about kind of being explained that the world is coming to an end and the san andreas fault is going to eventually lead to a mega quake that removes california from the rest of the united states and yeah it is just this and it did bring me back to that little inkling nearing the end of 2012 when it was like, is this actually going to happen? Is the, is the world going to end? I, I would say, uh, from what I remember, Y2K seemed like much more of a real threat since there was, I guess, like technology reasons. Anyway, the world didn't end. And subsequently, George Lucas has... I, I was looking at some articles from back then that this isn't the first time this story has come up. And yeah, he kind of... Or he does deny or his people say that he was just kidding around with Seth Rogen back then. So, yeah, I thought that was, like, a fun story. And then, yeah, he talks about also getting started. I think it's, like, the first jokes that he was paid for to write for somebody else. And it was for, I think it's someone that, it's some kind of ceremony, it's a circumcision ceremony, but for whatever reason, I think it is a public one and not public, but like there is an audience of family members and that for whatever reason, the person doing this also wants to tell jokes. So he 
after doing like a stand-up set, Seth Rogen gets kind of pulled aside at whatever the comedy club is or the bar and asks if he's available to write jokes. And then there is this whole situation where his friends are like, dude, don't do this. Well, he explains it to his friends and they're like, wait, like an adult wants you to, because they're, I think like 14 years old, around that age. They're like, there's an adult that wants you to get in this car and come over and write jokes or like see the jokes that you wrote. Anyway, it does totally like turns out fine that there's, he really just wanted jokes written. And it does become this thing where Seth Rogen presents the jokes to him and he says, yeah, I think it was like 50 bucks a joke. And Seth Rogen spent the week, wrote tests. And then the guy says like, well, I don't know about all of these, but maybe I could buy two of these. And it seems like kind of this pivotal moment or just a moment for Seth Rogen to know his worth. I think that's, that's kind of the lesson here is he says, well, you know, I really worked hard on these. I was expecting 50 a joke and to be able to sell all of these jokes. So you're going to have to take all of them or none of them. And eventually he does just say like, okay, I'll, I'll buy all of them. And then there's a sweet moment where his, his mom decades later tells him that, yep, that guy is still using your jokes for these ceremonies. So yeah, that, I, I do like this book that it was a fun one to listen to and just hear from someone who has been in comedy pretty much all of his life and just talks about the different phases of that. And it is cool to get that perspective. The other book that we listened to was Colin Jost's A Very Punchable Face. This is a great book as well. I would say compared to your book, just production-wise, this one doesn't have uh, the different voices or voice actors and that sort of thing, but it really has great stories about a life in comedy, and it was cool to just see the other path where Colin Jost goes through kind of more of a traditional career path and is a very success like on the traditional path very successful in that he attends it sounds like a, a pretty elite high school in manhattan so he grew up in staten island went to this high school in manhattan that and he talks about like commuting for a couple hours every day and then after that getting into harvard and at harvard attending or not attending but being able to write it was became like a big goal of his to write for the harvard lampoon which is this storied group that puts out i don't know if it's like a newsletter or magazine i forget what, what they would but it is like the comedy paper for harvard and i, I think other people that have been on like conan o'brien is a let me double check that harvard lamb conan yeah conan Oh, yeah, he was Conan O'Brien was two-term Lampoon president during his Harvard days. And, yeah, there's just all sorts of Harvard Lampoon alumni that are all across Hollywood. So if you want to be in comedy, you have to go to Harvard. <laughs> Definitely not true. But, yeah, this just shows a different path to it. And then eventually getting the chance to write for SNL. And, and he talks about being a writer on SNL. And then doing more stand-up and then eventually being an actor on SNL and just really goes through his thought processes during each of these things. 
And I do just always find it fascinating hearing about SNL's process. There is a lot of creativity lessons in there, not necessarily from this book, but the one that comes to mind is the Lauren Michaels quote of like, you ask like, oh, when do you know? It's something like we don't put the show on when we're finished with it. We put the show on because it is 11 p.m. on Saturday night. And it is this idea that you can, with creative work, you can continue to refine it, continue to refine it, but at a certain point, you do have to to ship it. So here's a, a quote from it. And he says, here we go. What I realized was I might never have this chance again. In fact, I almost certainly would never have this chance again. Did I really want to look back and think I could have done more, but I was afraid people would think I was lame for trying too hard? I decided to try really hard. That's the end of the quote. And actually, I pulled this quote, and I, I don't know the exact part that it's from, but this is just kind of a theme throughout the book, is how hard he worked. And this is a common thing with professionals in comedy, that they work just super hard, that you find out they're not like just joking around all the time. No, maybe that's not true for all of them, but you just hear about, especially like the like comedy writers, that they just work super, super hard. And he talks about this, that to get onto the Harvard Lampoon, he was writing daily. He would just ship more writing than everybody else. And then same thing when he was at SNL, he talks about just writing and submitting sketches and just like writing, 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 writing. And that was how he figured he could improve and improve his chances. And it definitely did lead to successful career. And yeah, he said something like each week he was writing the equivalent of half of a screenplay, just week in, week out. And yeah, it's just like a pretty crazy pace. So then another thing he talks about, there's a chapter about doing, and he says, speech and debate is a sport. Okay. And this is just, I think the lesson I took from here is just skill stacking and skill transfer in that practicing speech and debate is, it's not comedy, but there are elements of it. And in speech and debate, you think about both sides of an argument, you just take different people's perspectives, and then you learn to structure different things. And those kind of meta skills are very applicable to comedy, writing a joke, thinking about the audience's perspective, or thinking about how something you did relates to other people. And that can lead to good jokes. And then one last quote that I will pull is, and this quote is about growing up in Staten Island and then also kind of like losing that accent. He says, eventually I trained myself not to speak that way because I didn't want people to single me out. I wanted to fit in other places, not just where I grew up. That's why I now sound like an Ohio weatherman, neutral, friendly, and almost fully recovered after escaping that cult. He, that's the end of the quote. And yeah, he has a chapter just on growing up in Staten Island. And he does this comparison because, of course, if you think SNL cast member who's from Staten Island, Pete Davidson. And he talks about how Pete Davidson is kind of like more beloved in a way, or since he is like more representative of the like cliche of Staten Island. But yeah, so th- this kind of relates to I, I doing another podcast. I don't know what order I'm going to schedule these because right now I'm reading this book called Wanting by Luke Burgess and right before this I recorded this is a weird thing, I'll I'll just mention this so I recorded half of this podcast 
a few days ago, and then I recorded the Luke Burgess one earlier today, and then now I'm recording the second half of this one. Um, so I guess it's like just very confusing. I was going to say it's like nicely weaving my knowledge, but no, this is probably just going to be confusing, and I'll repeat myself. But yeah, he says, yeah, but this just goes into that idea of desire. So that's what that book, Wanting by Luke Burgess, is about, is mimetic desires, and that we, throughout like anything you desire now, and that our personalities and everything are shaped through these different desires and striving for these different things that we desire, we find people's, and we just become who we are by modeling other people's behavior. And yeah, I thought this was just an interesting quote and just like his relationship to Staten Island that a lot of the good things he values come from being from Staten Island, the Italian culture and just the importance of family are very good things that he's happy about. But then also he wants to, he has this like a desire to separate himself from there, to create his own identity that he's not someone from just someone from there in in a way. And I thought that that was interesting. And then even like towards the end of the book, he kind of contemplates his career and is starting to think about his identity and what he is outside of SNL because he spent so much of his career in SNL or like as part of SNL as a writer and then a cast member. So yeah, it's just, again, another good book about a comedian's career and I can probably, and I will probably start reading a lot more of these and I guess I'll write book notes and share them. So check this book out, A Very Punchable Face by Colin Jost. And another recommendation is just out of the blue, Judd Apatow's Sick in the Head. That's one of the best books on comedy that I've ever read. It's Judd Apatow's, I, I should do book notes on that and maybe I'll do that next week. It's he did these interviews in high school and in college before he was a famous director in Hollywood. And it's just this compilation of his interviews over, I think it's like four decades or like at least three decades. Like I think there's, there's a few interviews from the seventies and yeah, a few from like the 2010s. So, um, sick in the head, check that out. And thanks for listening.